<laughs> Long time no talk. What the heck? It's been a minute since we've done one of these, but now that we're post-COVID, we get to do them in person. There's a plane flying over, so uh, just in case anyone hears what sounds like some sort of like World War II effect, there's actually a plane. I'm next to an airport in Seattle outside of a winery, um, which is my natural state. Anyway, uh, it's been a minute since we've done one of these, but now we get to do them in person, which means they sound so much better. And uh, this episode's guest is Laura Killingbeck, a Kona ambassador and an amazing writer and lifelong bicycle adventurer, uh, an adventurer of all kinds, really. She is she is one of the coolest people that I've ever met, and I'm super stoked because she actually, it turns out, lives 30 minutes away from me in Massachusetts. Yeah, Laura has... I mean, her story is so incredible, and I'm not going to give anything away in our preview here, but it is like... I mean, it's like mind blowing. It's it's as cool of a story as you'll ever hear, not just in the bike industry, but just in life in general. She is inspiring. She has been through some crazy beep and um, she's come out of it with gusto. Um, I think to say inspirational, I think to say that she's inspirational is such an understatement. Um, She is just, yeah, she's a light and she is powerful and strong and brilliant and talented she can write and just she is an amazing writer yeah such a writer um yeah i encourage everyone to go and google her and read her bicycling magazine piece right now or sign up for the uh was it the adventure cyclist newsletter which she also writes for but we talk about all that in the actual conversation so i think i'm gonna stop talking um and i think we should just get right to it and let people listen what do you think I think people are going to really enjoy this music for their ears with Laura Killingbeck. Here we go. I'm here with Laura Killingbeck on a farm in an amazing tiny house. And before we delve into your full story, I guess I'm just wondering, how did you wind up in such an amazing place in such an amazing space? Yes, thank you. Well, I've been super lucky. Um, I've been living for most of my adult life in tiny houses. So I've been living in small cabins, often off grid or partial grid, low grid around the world. And it's just kind of randomly happened to me. It's something that um, I just started doing and I've grown used to having less things. And so I've, I've really enjoyed that lifestyle. So right now I'm at Round the Bend Farm, a center for restorative community in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. We're a nonprofit farm and education center and we have seasonal micro dwellings. And so I'm very, very lucky that I get to live in one of those tiny micro dwellings. It's, it really is so cool. I noticed it has wheels. Does it move? Yes, it is mobile. <laughs> and do you ever? Are you ever like, oh, I think the grass is greener over on that side of the farm, and do you move it, or no, you're pretty much stationary? <laughs> I have dreams of working up enough strength to like haul it myself, <laughs> um, but until then, no, I don't move it very much. I have a couple of the Kona EU cargo bikes, the electric yes, ones. We'll have to get those out here and see if we can do it. That'd be let's pretty do that. <laughs> <laughs> be like the ultimate human-powered camper machine. Yes. Um, so wait, you said it's for a restorative community. What does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's about um, restoring a sense of wholeness to community. And so we do that through different programming. We have a working farm. Uh, we run field trips, green weddings, different events here. Um, and we are soon getting a food truck so that we can travel around a little bit more and 
demonstrate healthy eating and healthy cooking to local people. That is super cool. Um, I have to say I grew up uh, and now live like an hour from here. Really, it's like 35 minutes without traffic from here. Yeah. And on Cape Cod, and I had no idea that this like agrarian wonderland existed just like right over by New Bedford. It's it's incredible. Driving out here, I thought I was in Vermont. Like it was amazing. Yeah. Um, how did you wind up here? Like this seems like you're from Rhode Island, right? Yep. Um, yep. But I know you've had like a very circuitous route to get here and we'll get into that. But how did you ultimately wind up in Dartmouth? Yeah. So I, wow. I'm, yeah. I, long story short, uh, started on the Mexican border and hitchhiked down to Central America with my partner at the time, Scott. And we ended up at an, uh, another farm and education center in Costa Rica. Um, and we started working with this place in Costa Rica and uh, through there met the director of Round the Bend Farm, Disa Van Larhoven, and started um, and we hit it off and she invited us to come and uh, come back here, come back to the farm and work. And so I've been, I worked for almost 10 years with both um, different organizations in some capacity going back and forth and developing farm-to-table food systems and educational programming. That's incredible. Now, in doing that, it seems like your life on a bike is interwoven through all of that. How did you come to cycling? And how did it become such an important part of your life? Yeah, so that's the big question. That's really the big one. Um, it has been intertwined. My life has been intertwined with cycling for a very long time now. And it's been something that I've done in in transition periods to kind of change my life or shift things. It's also something that I've done um, as a form of, of just overall healing. Um, and so I can tell the long story of how I got into that. If, if <laughs> I mean, we're going to get there eventually. Let's okay. just dive right in. Go for it. All right. Um, so I, I would start this by growing up in Rhode Island. Um, so I grew up in a, a neighborhood in Rhode Island. Um, suburban area. My parents are both naturalists. And so I grew up really, really learning to love nature and be a part of nature. And my parents really taught me that and taught my brother and I to be very comfortable in the outdoors. And um, But as a teenager, I still didn't really, like many teenagers, know what I wanted to do with my life. And um, wasn't really sure what paths would work for me. And so when I turned 18, I got a Greyhound out west, and I packed a backpack with my camping gear, and I stuck my thumb out on the side of the road in Tucson, Arizona, and I just started hitchhiking. And so I had this idea that I would just hitchhike into the world, <laughs> as an 18-year-old girl does. And um, yeah, so I just started getting as into- the father of an 18-year-old girl. <laughs> Eighteen-year-old uh, woman that who actually just got back from a three-month three road trip in a car—that yeah. is terrifying. Yeah, my parents are awesome. They didn't—they didn't like it. <laughs> Shocker! <laughs> but we've moved past that. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, eighteen, just started hitchhiking away. I didn't know where I was going, so people would stop and ask me, "Where are you going?" And I'd just say, "North, south, east, or west." and just go where they went. And so I spiraled around the Southwest for a while and went down to Mexico um, 
met a Mexican shoe shiner and we jumped a freight train and then started hitchhiking around some more. So we did that for about a year. Um, and that was my first real big adventure. Then went back to the States and started college. And it was a great experience. I was studying philosophy and sociology, had awesome professors, awesome group of people. But again, I still didn't quite know what I was going to do with that. Um, and one day I picked up a big glossy brochure from the National Outdoor Leadership School about a mountaineering course that they were offering. And so I was like, all right, well, maybe I should do that. Maybe that could be a path for me. And um, But the program at the time cost about 10 grand, so it was very expensive. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to need to get a job real fast and pay for this. And so I went to, got a newspaper and looked at the classifieds as people used to do. This is in Providence? This is in um, Kingston, Rhode Island. Okay. Yep. And I happened to see this listing for for dancers, for exotic dancers, where you said like $2,500 a week, you know, like all of these big numbers. I was like, all right, well maybe I can do that and become a mountaineer. And so, I was probably, I think I must have been about 20. And so I had no context for that industry whatsoever. I had just zero. Um, I didn't shave my legs. I didn't wear makeup. I didn't, you know, I made my clothes out of like scraps that I found. So I had no context for that whatsoever, except basically for my mom's old VHS aerobics tapes. Um, So they have these ladies like, you know, wearing tight clothes, and then they pull up their panties, like, over their hip bones, and that was, like, my whole context for this entire plan. This, I have, to, not to interject, this sounds like the beginning to the the best movie ever. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Like, actually. This is my real life. <laughs> um. I want you to show up at, like, at the, whatever the venue is, like, dressed like an 80s aerobics person. Yeah. That sounds incredible. Yeah, I did a great job dressing myself. So I wore this, um, like, velvet skirt, and then I got these old stilettos, and um, I just showed up at the Foxy Lady and uh, for an audition, you know, to, to make this money to become a mountaineer. And of course, I didn't know what to do. And so I just walked in and I asked the bouncer, what should I do? And he told me, um, we'll just look sexy and wink at people. And so I got on stage and I'm dressed in my ridiculous outfit. I couldn't get any of my clothes off. So I finally just like ripped everything off. And then I just crouched around the stage winking at people. Um, and so I can wink at you now if you want to see what that looks like. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a solid <laughs> wink. I feel like it needs a finger gun, but it's like that's a great one. <laughs> it's kind of like one side of my face disappears and the other is really giddy. And so I just went around this stage winking at people and I didn't get hired. And that was like my big start. That was like my big break. Um, but I, per- I persevered, and I got a job at the club down the street, and I started into this industry. And in some ways, it was really fun. In some ways, it was a blast. Like, you know, if you want to get paid to dance around, like, that's fun. Yeah. But in other ways, it was kind of crushing. And so it was this really extraordinary experience, learning experience. But it slowly started to kind of crush my soul from the inside out. And um, it made me feel extremely stuck in my life in a way that I couldn't really solve. And so one day I went home 
Um, I'd been working in, in this industry for a couple summers. I went home and I opened up my laptop and I just had this very dark feeling of being like really stuck, really stuck in this job and stuck in this position. And um, I opened up my computer and I was like, all right, I'm just going to imagine that maybe I'm on a flight somewhere and I'm flying away to a different place. And so my the wheels of that imagination started to turn and I started looking at these flights and all of a sudden I was like, you know, maybe I actually could do that. Maybe I could get a ticket to somewhere and just kind of go. And so it was this this moment of my life of feeling super, super stuck and then letting my imagination kind of carry me away to this other place and then I've just bought a ticket to Iceland um, because it was just the cheapest ticket that I found at the time and the ticket was leaving for the following weekend something like that um, and returning after about a month and so I bought this ticket all of a sudden and I had one week to figure out then what you know what am I going to do in Iceland I had no idea Um, I happened to have a bicycle And so I looked at a map of Iceland and there was one road going all the way around the island. And so at that point I was like, all right, well, maybe I can bike around Iceland. Maybe that's what I can do. And so I had never been biking before, more than 10 or 20 miles at a time. Um, It's not really something that I did, but I don't know. It just seemed like a great idea. (laughs) Why not? Um, so I had about a week to figure out how to pack a bike. I got some panniers, uh, packed up my camping gear and, uh, boxed the bike up. And then the next week I was on a flight to Iceland and the plane got in wee hours of the morning and I built the bike in the airport and just biked out into the Icelandic dawn. And that was, (laughs) that's amazing. It was a special moment. How long were you in Iceland? So I was in Iceland for a month. Uh, and then when you were done there, where did you go? What did you do? Yeah, so I biked around that one road. Um, and like, what other bike rides did I oh, do? Oh, no, no, or after Iceland. Like, where did you go after Iceland? So like, that's a month. I feel like that's like, it's an interstitial into like the rest of your life in a lot of ways. Yeah. So like, what happened after Iceland? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, okay, great question, James. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I biked around Iceland. It was this epic trip, and I got home, and I was—I happened to be moving across the country the next day with my best friend Allison, and so we drove across the country um, to California, moved to California, and I had a similar experience there, where I again started dancing, and it was—it was a hilarious and amazing, and also terrible, and so. Um, got to this point where I realized I needed to stop. Um, I started getting that feeling of being really stuck again. And so that time, um, I just got rid of all my stuff, got most of my possessions. And that time, I just booked a one-way ticket to Alaska. And so that w- with my bicycle. And so that was the second trip was, again, um, leaving the world of dancing behind and biking out into nothingness alone with a, a very heavy touring bike. <laughs> um, they were so great. That's like a trial by fire kind of situation. I mean, Iceland and then especially like getting rid of all of your possessions and essentially casting aside the anchor and then going to Alaska, yes. which is like a 
remarkably seasonable place seasonable place so like you've got like a kind of a window to like figure it out out there or you're a popsicle exactly so, so what what happened while you were in Iceland like what realizations did you have and, and how did you kind of decide like okay like I'm into the bike thing I'm not going back to California like there must have been some revelatory moment right absolutely yeah and I think it was the full process of the journey um, so getting into the airport in Anchorage you know, biking out into Anchorage, I had expected to kind of immediately be embraced by this like great vast wilderness, but Anchorage is like a very gray city. And so it was really jarring for me to like be in Anchorage and um, had a rough start. Like it was, it was very um, tough. There was just a lot going on. And then I was faced with I don't know where I'm even going. I'm just on this bicycle. <laughs> I don't even have like a place to go. <laughs> but um, you know what? Those are the tough moments that are also sometimes you look back on. You're like, that was actually one of my best moments um, because I got on that bike and I just pushed those pedals down and I just headed out. And there's something really healing, I think, about that repetitive motion, the repetitive motion of, of pedaling and not necessarily knowing exactly where you're going to end up or what you're going to do, but believing that it's going to be an amazing journey. I think you're right, especially with, with long trips, like the, the repetitive nature of the pedaling and kind of like your head down and your breathing and it, it, you reach a sort of like self hypnosis. Yeah. Where as long as you, I mean, I guess it doesn't even matter if you believe that you're going to make it to wherever you're going or you're going to arrive at a place because if you just keep pedaling, you're going to get somewhere. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the best part about it. I mean, unless you hit the ocean at which point, I guess you turn around. But, but what, so what were the first few nights, I mean, you were camping like yeah. in this crazy wilderness where like not only are there bears and yeah. moose and whatever else, like I have to imagine that is like a single and you're, you're kind of a petite woman here, you know? That's got to be scary in a lot of ways to be like out in the wilderness, like grizzly bears slash like meth head miners. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Was there, did you face a fear with that? And did you have any scary interactions or were you just kind of like, I'm putting that out of my head and just like trusting that the world is going to be kind? Oh, I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like grizzly bears. Um, yeah. The first bear I actually saw was. I had wanted to see a bear, um, but the first one I saw was was actually chasing a car right in front of me. And so I looked down the road and it was just galloping after this car. And I was like, oh, well, that's it for me. You know, like, like <laughs> um, but luckily it was just interested in the car. Well, honey or something. I guess it was a honey <laughs> car. Yeah. <laughs> Must basket. have been it. Oh, what, um, was, what would you say? And, and this is such an exploitative question, and I apologize, but I have to ask: What was the scariest thing that happened on that in Alaska? Hmm. Was there anything like super scary that happened, or like scary, or was it just kind of like, like more of a long dark night of the soul thing? Ah, uh, it was a mix. There was a long dark night of the soul, and there was also a lot of joy. I felt a lot of joy just being myself, pedaling, and being a body on my own terms pedaling and that was something that that changed me over time um, over the course of that trip um, was there anything particularly scary I, I really actually was terrified of bears so I took a lot of I took 
many all of the bear precautions so I had to like hang all my food every night and um, I sang a lot to make noise in bear areas so I took a lot of precautions for that there wasn't anything that particularly stands out to me as a terrible experience I most of the people I met were were very kind and friendly um, I never had any actual issues with bears raccoons tried to get my thing <laughs> my things yeah they tried to get in my panniers a couple times um it's because they have opposable thumbs i think it gives them an elevated sense of like entitlement yeah they're wily <laughs> little creatures <laughs> gotta watch out for those raccoons <laughs> so how long in total were you in alaska uh so i biked down to california so um oh, wow. yeah so it's about three three and a half months okay and at some point so you hit california and yeah. how old are you at this point? I must have been 23. Okay. So you hit California, and at some point you wind up riding somewhere, and then you wind up, and this is a part of your story that I think is really interesting, you end up in South America. Mm-hmm. Um, so how far, how do you how do you wind up kind of on like a cooperative, cooperative farm? Um, in my head, I'm using the word commune, which may not be right. Yeah. But how do you wind up in that situation? Because it's, it's pretty intriguing to me, and it sounds... Um, Sounds like a cool situation, but it also sounds like it could be like a terrible situation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess any situation in the world is like both awesome and terrible, right? But like, but how do you um, how do you get there? Okay. Yeah. So one of the points of of getting the one way ticket to Alaska and just biking south was to kind of figure out the next step on the way down, <laughs> which which worked actually. Like, sounds like a terrible idea, but it actually worked. I actually think it sounds like an amazing idea. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so I got back to San Francisco, and by that time, I had applied to some jobs. So, so I got a job on a saw crew. So I worked with the forestry service for a while on a chainsaw crew. And on that chainsaw crew, I um, I met a young boy named Scott, <laughs> uh, and um, we met at a party. And um, the first night that I met him, I was like, "Hey, do you want to go hitchhiking with me across Mexico?" And that was kind of my pickup line. Um, and he said yes, and so then we went hitchhiking together. I have to say that is that is an A plus plus pickup line. Thank you. you. It worked, <laughs> especially if you're sincere. <laughs> I feel like when I was 23, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, absolutely. And then if they were like, oh, just kidding, I'd have been so bombed. <laughs> yeah. No, we went. We went. Um, yeah. So we just yeah we just went to the border and like from the party you just like hit the yeah <laughs> like, let's go or was there no like a... um yeah great no great question a couple months passed okay um because we both had to finish our jobs right. um where we were actually responsible people <laughs> and had to wait for the jobs to end right it's if... important to be a responsible dirtbag yes very exactly yeah. exactly Um, Yeah, so we started hitchhiking across Mexico, down through Central America, and we worked on some different farms along the way, and we worked as trekking guides in Guatemala for a little while. Um, We ended up in Costa Rica in Central America, and so that is where we started working with the the Farm and Education Center down there. And during that time... um, Briefly, Scott went back to the States, and I moved to Colombia. And then in Colombia, I ended up doing another bike trip around Colombia and Ecuador. Oh, no way. That's That sounds really amazing to me. 
were you i mean those are two countries that are both incredible but kind of known for unrest in a lot of ways mm -hmm. what was it like riding through the countryside there especially again as an a as an american b as a woman um and c like in such a vulnerable state it's just like alone on a cycle i mean i don't think it matters if you're man woman child grizzly bear mm -hmm. like there's definitely yeah absolutely yeah no so i was in bogota in colombia and um Again, these are weird, long stories, but I was trying to get a visa. So the best kind for podcasts. <laughs> okay. I got a lot of those. The, the okay. short, not so weird ones, you're kind of like, oh, all right, I guess we'll put it out there. But the weird, long ones, okay. let's go for it. All right, thanks. Um, I was in Bogota. I was trying to get a visa extension, and I was unable to get this visa extension. And so I was going to the visa office every day it, for like a long time. Um, I like pulled out all the stops. I like really worked hard for this. Um, couldn't get this visa. One day I was walking out of the visa office, totally dejected. And this guy just rode in front of me on a bicycle. And I had this flash idea of it would just be easier to bike to Venezuela than ever come back to this visa office. And <laughs> it was just this one flash of an idea and then by the time like you would rather go for like a long grueling potentially life-threatening <laughs> ride than deal with any more bureaucracy i think we've all been there <laughs> thank you for understanding uh yeah yeah so by the time i got home the idea was real was like a plan it became a plan um and then once it was a plan i had to figure out i didn't have a bike so i had to get a bike and um bags and also try to find someone to go with me because I didn't really want to go by myself as a female in that area because it I think it would have been fine but it would have added um, an additional emotional stress that I would have had to manage and I didn't want feel like managing that stress as much that's fair so did you find someone I did yeah so I posted an ad on couchsurfing.com um, it was just like a picture of my face and um, <laughs> a message saying, hey, if you want to come ride to Venezuela with me, meet me at this acoustic rock concert on this day in the city. And that was it. That's all I did. How many people showed up? One person. One person. <laughs> I one. think I could have backfired. You could have had like 65 one, one people. One person showed up. <laughs> this one person biked to Venezuela with me. Amazing. Are you still friends to this day? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we live in different countries. But um, yeah, so, so I went to this concert and this one person showed up. And um, Francia, Frenchman. Um, and he just came right up to me and was like, I want to bike, bike to Venezuela. And I was like, great. Do you have a bicycle? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been biking before? No. <laughs> it's like, we'll, we'll be perfect. Yeah. You know, like this is where we emailed Lacey at Conan. <laughs> <Yeah. No. laughs> I was wish. Like, there are no more bikes. I wish. <laughs> if only Lacey had been there. That... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we got him a bike. I, I bought a bike for $50 from a friend of mine. Wow. Um, we found some bags at a thrift store. And we just tied them onto the back of the bikes and then we just left. And so we kind of pedaled out of Bogota and we headed up um, in a circuitous way, really, to Venezuela. Um, but it took a while to bike there, like many weeks. Wow. And then we got to the border and I tried to renew my visa and they declined it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so what happens after that? Um, so then I had to leave the country. Okay. And luckily you were at the border. I was at the border. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I was meeting Scott again in Bogota. 
So then um, we basically just, um, I convinced Scott to come on a bike ride to me with me across uh, Ecuador. And so we just kind of just kept on going, but this time with Scott. And, okay. Yeah. Nice. And did you, um, and so eventually you wind up back in Costa Rica, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you were there, you were there for seven years. Is that right? I don't know. Wow. Let's see. Yeah. Costa Rica was about nine years. Yes. Nine. So okay. Scott and I were working as um, co-directors of the business and we were directing the food and agriculture programs there. Okay. And so eventually you get tired of being in Costa Rica mm -hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. And I can't remember if this is right or not, but I think it is. Cause I'm, and I'm referencing your incredible bicycling article that you wrote. Thanks. Um, but you come back to the States and you're kind of like, all right, like I've dedicated over a decade of my life to this one situation that isn't, isn't working out. And wh what do I do? Like, what am I? And it's funny, you know, I think any creative person that's constantly asking themselves, like, what am I going to do with my life? You're like, well, you're 70. So maybe figured it, but yeah. you know, luckily <laughs> you're at a point where, you know, you've, probably got a lot of opportunities, but maybe don't recognize that they're there, or don't realize various potentials, and you go for another ride. And if you could tell me about that that ride that kind of led to you being here, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So leaving um, the place in Costa Rica, uh, it yeah, it was a very difficult situation. And I, I also uh, tore my ACL and meniscus at the time. And so I had just gotten a surgery. And uh, so I was recovering from that. And after about a year of physical therapy, I was back in the States and I decided to rehabilitate my leg. Um, I'd lost a lot of muscle mass and I just wanted to get stronger, I wanted to feel better and get stronger. And so bike ride. When in doubt. It's my solution for everything. It's like, you know, feeling well, just go for a bike ride. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't have a bike find one <laughs> um yeah so i planned a ride up to labrador um so my parents drove me to, uh, from rhode island to quebec um the uh, south of the saint lawrence river and i started out there how do they feel about dropping their daughter off who's just kind of like gone through a tumultuous year a little bit like just being like okay bye and like driving away with you in a parking lot i don't know i just i can't imagine watching my daughter like get smaller and smaller in the review as i'm like all right honey like let's go get some poutine <laughs> yeah my poor parents they've been through so much um they're amazing they they have uh, they participated and I think they knew that it was important to me. Um, but yeah, I think it's been hard for them to see that, but they've also grown to appreciate. They're also your parents though. I think they recognize that you're pursuing your own happiness. You seem like a pretty happy, well-adjusted person. Thanks you James. I mean? so... I'm so glad that's on record. <laughs> and I'm going to let my parents listen yeah, to perfect. it. <laughs> you, can, you can actually quote me on that. Thank you. Um, I'll blurb your book. No problem. Um, <laughs> Anyway, this is not a paid advertisement. Okay. Um, but, but no, so so you take off from Quebec and yeah. you ride towards Labrador. Yeah. And you're solo again. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Tell the story. Yeah. So I'm working up my my legs again, and it's feeling great, and I'm finally getting a sense of freedom. I get this wonderful sense of freedom when I start out on a long ride, and I'm camping out every night, and I don't know where I'll be. It's just this beautiful feeling of letting go and feeling healthy and feeling like a healthy body. Um, 
And after a little while, I noticed this kind of infection on my arm. And I got really nervous because we have Lyme's disease here. And I was like, oh, it's probably Lyme's disease. And um, so I started like kind of poking around at this infection. It was right on my arm where I could see it while I was riding. And then one day I looked a little closer at it and this uh, little white worm just poked its head out of my flesh. And I realized I had a bot fly. Which At least you weren't alone. <laughs> exactly. I was so relieved. I was so relieved that Definitely it wasn't better alone. than Lyme disease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So bot flies are these little parasites um, that grow up to, I don't know, I can't remember, like a half inch or more long. They just grow inside your flesh and they have a breathing tube that they poke out. So I had seen the breathing tube. Um, so for the rest of, uh, for the next few weeks, I, I was riding and watching this little worm kind of uh, poke in and out of my arm. Um, did you give it a name? I did. I named it Spike. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and did, did Spike have like a personality? Like did you, I'm assuming, I know me in this, well, in this, I probably would have just carved that piece of my body off because okay. I, I have a thing about things living inside me. But yeah. um, all my bad acid trips aside, like I think <laughs> that I definitely would have like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I would have given it like a full-on personality. We would have had like long conversations. I can did that, see that. Did that happen with you? Oh, yeah. Spike did you get any good awesome. advice? <laughs> Spike was my buddy. Yeah. I mean, I sang to him a lot. You know, we rode together. He was my, my partner, my friend. <laughs> my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Look okay. out, Tom. <laughs> Castaway 2, yeah, coming soon. Yeah. Um, so, so what happened to Spike ultimately? Yeah, so Spike, um, let's see. Well, I was meeting Scott, so I had the first 800 miles alone, and then I uh, Scott flew in and I met him. And um, the day that I met him, I just looked down on my arm, and Spike was just kind of bulging out, and so I kind of pushed him out of my arm and held him in my hands, and I had to let him go. I crushed him with my foot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of if you love something, set it free. But that seems a little dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then you 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 have a reunion with Scott. Yeah. Um, which, as I recall, doesn't go maybe quite the way he's hoping or quite the way it's going. Um, and let's I'll let you again tell this part of it. But then. I think that leads to where we are now in a lot of ways so sure yeah so um yeah so scott and i biked up um the north shore of the st lawrence river through quebec it was beautiful a beautiful area and um and we went over to the tip of labrador down through newfoundland and um across to um mainland canada again and and um yeah, and then Scott left for back for Costa Rica, I think from New Brunswick at the, um, it was this beautiful place where the, the tides are really dramatic. And so you can kind of walk over out on the edge of the ocean for a really long way. And um, he left for the train station there. And then I kept riding down to Rhode Island. So I was able to ride um, on my own uh, back down to my parents' house, actually. And that was actually the last time I ever saw Scott. Um, so we, <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. Um, but the trip was lovely. We had a great trip together. Um, yeah. And so how long ago was that now? 
So that must have been, tw- okay, that was 2018. Okay. Yeah. So, and now what, it seems as though you've had this kind of like wild and adventurous, like far-flung life. And now you've kind Thanks, of come, <laughs> come back to the source in a lot of ways. Like you're back near, I mean, you're a stone's throw from Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, but it also kind of seems like maybe, and, and I, I didn't know you then, but it seems like you're settling down and, and you're pursuing, um, you're pursuing writing, which is incredible. Your writing is amazing. Again, I encourage Thanks. anyone to check out um, that bicycling article or anything else they can find of yours. But what led you to think like, okay, like I'm going to start telling these stories now, or have you always been a writer? I guess I don't know the answer to that. Mm. I think I started telling these stories because I had to, I think there was a part of me that really needed to talk about these experiences and that really wanted to connect with other people who were going through similar things that I was going through. Uh, So I write about adventure. I write about my trips um, and I write about my real life. It's very authentic. It's very important to me to write things that are true um, for me. And, and that's led me to connect with other people who are, who are also feeling stuck sometimes or who are also stuck in, in, in a job or a relationship or a mental state that they don't know how to get out of. And I feel like I've arrived at this point where I've, ha- I've been so lucky so lucky to be able to take these trips and so lucky to be a part of these communities um, and and have the time and space to to grow and change that I really uh, love sharing that with other people and I get a lot out of that. So when is the book coming out? <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> we're going to see. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But no, so what, you know, we're coming out of COVID, you know, so that was 2018 mm-hmm. and I had a year of of recalibrating to some degree or like adjusting to being back here in the states and, and settling down then COVID happens so you're mm-hmm. kind of like forcibly locked down for a year but now that that seems to be knocking on wood here knocking on tiny house yeah um, fading behind us what are what are your plans what's next wow yeah well I'm really excited to to keep writing um I'd like to work on a book um I'm excited to keep connecting with more people who are adventuring um, I'd love to do some more bike trips, obviously. That's always on the on the back burner. And I'm um, just taking it one day at a time. You used the term adventuring a few times. What does that mean to you? Mm. I think for me that really is um, the feeling of, of being alive in a healthy way and, and feeling a sense of, of a spark in your life. And so that can mean going on a bike ride. It can mean, for me, it has to do with the outdoors. So, you know, going camping, going hiking. But I think for different people, it can mean different things. I think it's really just whatever makes you feel uh, fully alive in the world. Lastly, if you had to give one piece of advice to anyone who is hoping to get into cycling, as a therapeutic adventure um, or even even just, you know, adventure cycling, air quotes, is really having a, kind of a moment right now. And it seems like it, it drew a lot of people, um, cycling in general, every sport did. The outdoors drew a lot of people over COVID. Um, what would be your one piece of advice to people who want to make it more a part of their life but don't necessarily want to emulate a Tour de France racer? So a friend of mine gave me a really good piece of advice a few years ago, and she said, 
Um, if you're having trouble making a decision, then make the choice that makes you smile. And I think that was just really good advice because there's something very emotional about that. You can't really uh, fake a, a smile that you're, when you're smiling for yourself. And I think if, if people are thinking about their lives and, and wanting to go out on a trip, um, just to plan a trip that is actually meaningful and exciting for you, that really makes you feel, uh, that makes you smile when you think about it and is part of, of or, or just a healthy vision for who you are. That was amazing. Laura, thank you so much for doing this. How can people find you in the world? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Laura Killingbeck. So that's at L-A-U-R-A-K-I-L-L-I-N-G-B-E-C-K. Um, I'd also like to recommend the Adventure Cycling Association has a newsletter and podcast called Dynamo Jenny. And so I write um, for their newsletter frequently. Um, so you can check out their um, their their whole line of work there and Dynamo Jenny is all about inspiring and empowering women to live more adventurously awesome thanks so much thank you talking shit about a pretty sunset blanket and opinions that I'll probably regret soon Change my mind so much, I can't even trust it. My mind changed me so much, I can't even trust myself.